Hi, welcome to the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, and I'm here with Dr. Gretchen Goodmanson. She's a clinical psychologist, and we are here to partner together to help you understand if you think your kid is depressed, what are you going to do? Thanks for joining me, Dr. Goodmanson. Thank you for having me. She's a clinical psychologist at Seattle Children's in the Outpatient Psychiatry Clinic, and she really prides herself about um, the work she gets to do where she integrates what research tells us is the best way to help support kids and their families who are depressed, but also really the techniques of helping support families, psychiatrists, and even psychologists who are you know, counseling kids and families. So we're going to get into... Now you're driving along, you're on the road right now, and you're thinking, my kid's depressed, what am I going to do? So first and foremost, if parents are worried, what's the number one thing they do when they get back to their house right now? I think they should make an appointment with their pediatrician. Yeah, I Or get it checked out with someone that they have established care. Also ask about resources in your school. Yeah. So number one is just don't hesitate. If you're yeah. concerned about your kid's depression, there's nothing wrong with needing help and support. And there's nothing wrong with finding out that maybe your concerns are either helicoptery, right? Like maybe you're overly concerned and maybe you're under under concerned, right? And yeah. sometimes we're not as parents as good at really knowing. That's the whole role that your primary care doc or your nurse practitioner can help with. Or the school system. So I love that point that, you know, if you're disconnected in the health system or you don't feel like you've got a great primary care at home, tomorrow you can walk into the school and say, hey, I want to talk to the school counselor. I want her, you know, to talk with my son or daughter about the possibility of how he feels and what his mood is because I'm worried. Exactly. So make the calls, number one. And then, you know, what does it mean really, Dr. Goodmanson, to get a comprehensive evaluation if you're worried about a child who might be suffering from depression? Well, it's important, first off, uh, depending what symptoms you're worried about, what's coming to mind is you want to make sure that there aren't any uh, medical issues that might be driving something that looks like depression, like a problem with your thyroid or... Yeah. So thyroid, you know, kind of drives the motor of your body. And if you don't have enough of it, it'll just slow you down. And the podcast that we, you know, published before this was really about, you know, what are the signs and symptoms of depression? One of that is just being kind of slow and low and your, to your point that way. So thyroid can do that. The other thing, right, is really massive sleep disruption can make a child look really depressed too. Exactly. Exactly. And that can, it's tricky because that can go with depression, but, but sometimes if you figure out the right medical component, it might be that that, that solves all your problems, that your, your concern really goes away. So that's often, you want that to either be a first step or happening in conjunction with, with a more depression focused evaluation. Yeah. And I'll point out that's the minority of kids who come in with concerns about depression, that they really end up having a thyroid problem or a blood problem. But you can expect that sometimes when you go and don't promise a no poke visit because you might get a lab draw, even to look at something like anemia or something in a teen who may have concerns or a thyroid blood level. But in addition, when you see a pediatrician or anyone else, you know, you probably expect that they're going to ask a lot about your family history, where and how your kid is doing or at school and where they live and if there've been any changes. And then talk a little bit, Dr. Goodmanson, about some of the kind of quantitative scales that are out there that can help a family know, is this just normal sadness or is this really depression? Yeah, we have one thing that you'll want to pay attention to and that your pediatrician, your school counselor, uh, different providers might use are just different screening instruments. So things like there's something called the patient health questionnaire, the PHQ, the moods and feelings questionnaire, which is specific, um, both of which are specific to depression. But uh, these scales allow a report usually from parents and potentially also from kids. So it's good to get both perspectives, mm-hmm. but it allows us to kind of um, gauge are these 
way m- more or less than is typical. Yeah, and so and we have norms on on hundreds of kids to really determine, oh, if it's the score is above this number, then let's do some further assessment. If it's below, you could probably be assured, yeah, depression's not what's going on right now. Yeah, or there's something else going on. I mean, that's what's yeah. nice about it. For me as a pediatrician, when we do this, you get that number, the 12 or the 16 or the 20, and you say, ugh, this is maybe more significant than I've understood from the questions I've asked or what mom or dad has said, or the opposite is true. So it kind of just helps us gauge it. The other thing that's really lovely in some ways about using some of these screening scales and even things like the children's depression inventory and things is that you can follow kids over time. So it's hard to remember what last week was Mm -hmm. like, let alone six months ago, let alone a year ago. And sometimes I I love that we'll use these scales and we'll say, well, look, your score last year was 12 and your score today is six. Like, we've made a ton of progress. Like you may still feel a certain way about how things are going, but we can see some progress that way too sometimes or the opposite, right? That things are getting worse and we might want to change up what we're doing. So I love that. So when, when you're thinking about, um, you know, that first interface, um, you know, you'll, you'll see whoever you first see and then you'll probably use a team effort, right? A psychologist, a behavioral health counselor, a counselor at school. Um, and also I would suggest the medical team will help you think on how's your kids sleeping and eating and things like that. Um, Um, But one of the benefits of working in pediatrics, I always think, is that we are changing habits for a lifetime in some ways and giving kids skills for resilience and coping measures when we we intervene early. So if a teenager is depressed, you know, and they're learning coping skills, I'll always say, like, if if you're worried about going to see a therapist or you think it seems like there's something wrong with you or there's stigma associated, I'm saying you get to go talk to someone who's just there to listen to what you have to say for an hour sometimes. And that's going to help you just understand yourself better for the rest of your life. Like, everyone would benefit, I think, in some ways, <laughs> talking to a psychologist at time. This is a, a benefit. So what happens when kids are counseled for depression in teenage years? I mean, do you think that really changes how they experience depressive symptoms later in life? I, I do. I think that's actually why it's so critical uh, to you know, get intervention and treatment that's evidence-based that relies on on our research uh, earlier so that you can sooner rather than later just develop skills as a kid and as a parent to determine how to um, build up protective factors and how to mm-hmm. manage um, depressive symptoms. Yeah, it's like muscles. I mean, it's like this muscle memory, right? Of oh gosh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not feeling good again. But I learned when I was 17, I needed to do this. So some of the evidence starts with just lifestyle. So that includes changes in sleep and diet and exercise. What do we know about vitamin D and light when it comes to mood and depression? Well, it's one of the questions that you'll likely get in an evaluation is whether there's any sort of seasonal pattern with huh. depression. So. Uh, you know, people everywhere, but we're particularly sensitive to this in Seattle, but yeah. you can notice that <laughs> yes, we are. in yeah. the darker months when there's less light, yeah. uh, that you might have more a low mood that you, um, and there some kind of hormonal, um, effects of, uh, getting light, um, that affect your mood and your rhythms. And so, um, that's part of why, having regular circadian and social rhythms are really important in terms of physical activity, light, mood, movement. Right. So the that you know, the circadian rhythms are established by in, inside your brain, right? They kind of yeah. and they help you kind of tell your body knows when to get tired, when to wake up, right? And and they change with light exposure. So light exposure is good, right? Going outside and moving your body does two things. You get both the light 
and you get the exercise, which helps with mood. Does vitamin D, um, th- you know, there are different ways we get vitamin D. We eat it. We also get it from sunlight in some ways. And um, so if kids are suffering from um, challenges with depression, and we actually recommend the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines include a daily supplement of vitamin D for every child. So I think parents can kind of investigate that and talk with their care team if they think that's a good idea. What do you think about those light boxes and light therapies? There's research to support their use. So I think a lot of people uh, find them to be helpful. I think it can also ease waking up in the morning, which is difficult for a lot of people. But I think that can sort of kids too, especially. And teens, especially because they're so tired. Yeah. Yeah, And they're naturally have this shift in phase where they want to go to sleep later and wake up later. It's not just them no, no, biologic. It's true. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so the light can ease that transition and make it a little less abrupt in the morning. Is there a rule of thumb of how you use a li- how you use light therapy that families? Yeah, there on? there are specific guidelines, and uh, and we can even provide resources for kind of what are good kind of the timing. But it it usually it's the dawn simulators are particularly helpful, uh, and then with the light therapy. Uh, you can work with a provider to really specify how long, but it's usually a, a half an hour or hour. Okay, we'll put it. We'll put it on. We'll put this podcast in the blog, and we'll put some links and resources there. So let's talk about the therapy and the evidence based therapy really around psychotherapy. So there's what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, tell us about that. So cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, often called CBT, really uh, for depression, focuses on the links between uh, thoughts, cognitions, behaviors or your actions, and emotions. And the idea that changing any one of those things is going to affect change on the other. So a lot of times uh, individuals with depression, including kids and adolescents, they have really negative cognitions. So Mm -hmm. they are... um, Kind of like self-critics. They're loud. Those are loud voices they hear about what they're doing wrong. Yeah. And I I sort of, and we'll talk about this with kids, that their brains are sort of just adept at taking the most negative spin on something. Or they might hear something sort of neutral, whereas a non-depressed kid, it might just sort of fall off off or they don't even tune into it. But a depressed kid might might take it sit to heart, it. sit on it, yeah. chew on it for yeah. Yeah. a long time. And yeah. so some of the work in cognitive behavioral therapy is focusing on, well, what what is going on inside of your head and those negative cognitions? And uh, just to get a sense of what that is. Uh, and then if that is a prominent thing for, for the kid, then you would want to kind of work to either change them, restructure them, challenge them, say, check the evidence. Is that really true? Is that really happening? Um, and then kind of like bookkeeping errors. So yeah, I've talked about that in the blog that, you know, you've got this self-critic and sometimes you'll have a day and you'll go to the end of the day and you'll think I had a terrible day and you'll forget the 20 things that went well. Right. Yeah. So we have to challenge the way we kind of keep record of our days too. when that voice is strong, I think. Yeah, I think that. And, and I think it's one of those things that that's true for all people and then depressed people, it's even more true. So it's like you have yeah. to work even harder to build up that positive part of your brain mm-hmm. to hold on to those positive messages, the things that went well, because those are the, the the quickest things to disappear or to for a depressed person to say, oh, they were just saying it to be nice or that wasn't really yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. They, re, re, they write, write it down and tone it down. Yeah. So what's the difference? I mean, I, I expect that families can have a psychologist guide them on the best intervention. But there's also something called interpersonal therapy. What's that and how does it differ? So yeah, CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, and then interpersonal therapy or IPT are the two 
interventions that have the most evidence. And so interpersonal therapy is uh, a little bit different in that it focuses more on how relationships affect mood or depression and vice versa. And so uh, it's not to say that thoughts aren't important in that therapy, but it's really you're guiding your therapy approach about how for this person is their depression affecting their relationships. Because you, you know, you if they're depressed, they might be withdrawing. They might not be re- responding to their friends' texts. They might be turning down opportunities to do stuff, which then weakens their friendships so that their friends might pull away, things like that. So in the therapy, you're actually really mapping out their whole interpersonal world. So friendships, mm-hmm. their family relationships. The kind of web of life. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, and that's something that's really often very of interest to teens. You know, that's yeah, their world. That's their world. Yeah. And so, so you it really of, delves into that. The therapy delves into the connections that kids have and then thinking about maybe how to feel about those or how to build stronger yeah, connections. Yeah. Finding right? out what are gaps, you yeah. know, what are the things that are kind of deficits or is it, you know, is your really intense irritability affecting your ability to make or keep friends or are you constantly fighting with your parents and, uh-huh. and what can you do to change your interpersonal um relationships, strategies, just what can you do that then would help your depression? So, and then there's, so one thing about that I think about, sometimes parents are uncomfortable with their kids going to their own counseling sessions if there's a Mm. challenge at home. And it's just a reminder, it's great to have a teen or a child get access to kind of an impartial advisor to help them do a better job with a parent. So I'll remind them sometimes when families are uncomfortable about that to say, if the tension seems like it's mostly at home, it's only good if they get some help so that it goes better for both of you, right? Because kids can get these all these great skills. And that's something that's, I think, important for parents to think about is that, you know, good therapy can look a lot of different ways. But it's very common for parents to be involved in different ways. So in a given yeah. session, I often will have time with both parent and teen, just the teen and just the parent, which yeah. can be a little bit of a juggling act. But that's also how good therapy works. I think of um, sort of the boxing analogy where the teen is the the boxer, the fighter. Um I, as a therapist, might be the coach, and then the parent is the, the little water squirter, like sort of the squirter. support yeah, yeah, person. Yeah, and so that. it really, yeah. that sort of interaction is really important to happen because, you know, therapy happens typically one hour a week. So you really want not only the teen or child to be doing, trying these different things during the week, but their parents need to help su- support that and yeah. might more than likely is going to need to do something a little bit different. Um, either because of the depression or because their kid is now a teenager, like they sort of need to re kind of establish and recalibrate how to support their, their teen. Yeah. So I love that as just a reminder that parents should know that the sessions may look different over time too. If your Mm -hmm. child's seeing a clinical psychologist or a counselor for let's say a couple of months at a time, that each session will be different in structure to be available that way. Um, what about behavioral activation and the data behind that and how that might differ? So behavioral activation is sort of a, a kind of offshoot of CBT uh, that has recently been modified for use with adolescents, uh, and it really focuses on um, the the B in the CBT. So sometimes cognitive work can be really complicated and sophisticated. So How for, your brain is thinking. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes teenagers, especially that's a depressed much. teen, that's just really hard to do. Yeah. And so behavioral activation really focuses more on um, what a, a kid is doing um, 
and how to make sure that they're infusing things that provide mastery and joy throughout their day, mm. figuring out is there stuff they're avoiding that's kind of having this downward spiral effect yeah. and figuring out, okay, how do you tolerate um, these things that are hard in the short term so that in the long term it doesn't you know, mess you up. So you really, the behavior activation focuses more on amplifying reward and joy mm-hmm. and happy things that are mm-hmm. usually kind of void in a depressed Adult kid's out. life. Yeah. 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 And also then identifying, okay, and then pragmatically, are there things that you we just need to help you plod through, whether you. it's your homework or chores or whatever that is, to make sure that you, again, are have a full life that and that you're not creating more depressive downward spirals. Yeah. So you're kind of focusing a spotlight on some of the things that are going well and helping kids do that and then changing the activities that set them up for success yeah. with the behavior so activation. One thing is these three treatments, there's a lot of overlap with some of the skills. Yeah. And, and But what's nice is that the different approach sometimes is just can be a nice match. So part of it is that, you know, sometimes, for example, with cognitive behavioral therapy, part of how behavioral activation got... Um, developed was because sometimes some people like changing their thoughts and they like like that activity and like that can be really powerful. Sometimes, particularly teens, that can feel invalidating. It's like, wait a second, you're telling me my thoughts are wrong, wrong. things uh-huh. like that. So again, that could, with any one of these things, you as a therapist, um, you're paying attention to, you don't want to make the teen mad or make them feel less than in any sort of way. So it could be that you might try cognitive approaches. And then if that isn't really working or helping, you might move to a different kind of thing. Yeah. And I think just as a reminder, so, you know, I think Dr. Goodmanson's helping us understand there are all these terms and, you know, acronyms around CBT and IPT and behavioral activation. And you don't need to go ask for these specific things. If you're with a clinical psychologist and an experienced counselor, you can. But I think that may kind of ebb and flow throughout therapy as a child's being cared for. And then lastly, let's talk briefly about medication, because I think a lot Lots of families think about that, worry about that, actually, that they might need to use medication with a child who's depressed. And um, because in some ways, you know, people think of depression in a part as the way that cells in your head, in your mind, kind of communicate to each other. And there are some medications that we use in teens. But just as an overlay, you know, I've been in practice for 10 years and um, I haven't used very, I mean, have certainly prescribed um, antidepressives, which are typically called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors for kids that work right on the serotonin receptor in the brain. But, you know, um, in the early 2000s, there was a black box warning that said these might, when you start an antidepressant medicine, make kids more likely to be suicidal, which is, of course, everything we're always so concerned about, the end game and the worst outcome of a child who's severely depressed. And so we had these warnings and it was kind of misunderstood, but the warning went out and and we were kind of required to disclose that to patients and families at the time of prescribing. And then recent data has even showed us these medicines really don't do as good of a job in teens as we thought. So, you know, how do you help families understand the timing of when to consider using a medication with a child who's depressed? I think that's a, an important question and one that I discuss all the time with families because mm-hmm. it it's hard to figure out what to do. So what I really uh, recommend is, again, just sort of thinking of it in stages. So you want to make sure you're covering lifestyle changes then you want to go to the more behavioral or talk therapies. A counselor or a psychologist. Exactly. Yep. And, and with mild to moderate depression, that is fine. I think you want to give that um, a shot in part because it can be helpful 
both in the short term and the long term, because once you learn a skill, you've got it you've forever. Got it. Yeah, it's in your toolkit. And but typically, kids with depression, how long do they see psychologists? What's, in your experience, the typical range? A, There's exceptions, we all yeah, know. Yeah, a typical case, particularly if it's, um, you know, sort of the earlier the better, is going to be three three months, uh-huh. three to six months, possibly. Um, and I think That's really... That's a good reminder for parents and teens, like... You're not signing up for this for a lifetime. You're yeah. not taking your every Wednesday afternoon for the rest of time, right? That it's a it's a therapy that if you're combining it with the other skills of exercise change and lifestyle change and sleep changes, that, that you know that you're hopefully not be doing this for a whole school year even. Exactly. Unusual. Exactly. And again, the goal of therapy really is for people to learn the skills and then soar on Practice. their own. Yeah. I and know that. their risk factors and when it would make sense to come back for a booster session or to come back for a longer time. But so with with medication that what I you want to pay attention to if the the initial changes aren't helping you know that that you're not seeing enough change that a kid is still experiencing ongoing depression even though they're doing all of that for because the data are a little spotty right now in terms of their use and it's also the case that for some people it really helps a lot yeah and some sometimes also if you're child is having trouble engaging in therapy sometimes it if it's kind of severe can help get them get to them a place going. where their mood yeah. can get going yeah if they're so and low better use. and they're so non-interactive right sometimes we'll use the combination of medicine to get them back into the swing of things per se to open up so that counseling is effective yeah so untreated depression we know um can can lead to more serious problems like suicide and substance abuse, and then just like the loss of enjoying your life. So, you know, again, remember, you know, kind of talking to a provider as early as you can is going to be really important. And knowing that seeking this evidence-based treatment with a psychologist or counselor that uses cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal therapy, and behavior activation and changes can really help kids get great coping skills, learn kind of a sense of resilience, and be able to identify what triggers them and makes them vulnerable and to Dr. Goodmanson's words, even help them soar over time. And it's not typically decades of therapy. It's month chunks in time. And then if this recurs in a child's life, um, that they return to that. Um, you know, I love one of your last points, Dr. Goodmanson, about teaching your kids to share any concerns they have about their friends. So as, as we close this podcast, tell us a little bit about what tips you can give to families about even a child's responsibility in their own community with their other friends, since depression can be as high as one in every five teens. Yeah, it just, you know, particularly as they become adolescents, they sometimes their friends become their confidants. And so I think it's um, at the same time, you don't lose your years of relationship with your child. So I think you just want to, from the get go, just always have um, to the degree you can, you know, a really openness, not a lot of taboo topics, um, but also check in about your child's friends in part because I Again, I have so many teens come in and ask me about their friends that they're worried about, and then they've made a promise to keep something secret. Yeah. Whether it's that some, you know, a problem with um, a romantic partner or feeling suicidal or different things like that. And that, of course, is stressful in and of itself, but it's stressful on your kid who's trying to figure out that and trying to figure out what to do. Right. Learning intimate details about any of our friends' lives can be stressful for us, right? And and I think we can always remind each other. And our, if we hear about another child through one of our children, reaching out to that parent is the right thing to do to see if you can support them too. Exactly. Well, so if you think your child's depressed, right away go home, make an appointment with the primary care provider or a psychologist. 
Expect a comprehensive evaluation that'll include a physical exam, maybe even blood work, but really a detailed history about your family and how your child's sleeping, eating, and living, and stressors that might be there. Seek evidence-based treatment. That means with a psychologist who's used some therapies in combination with sleep changes, diet, and exercise, and even light therapy and supplemental vitamin D, knowing that untreated depression doesn't go away typically and can result in more episodes of chronic recurrences as kids get older and really terrifying things like substance abuse and even suicide. And then, you know, let's get rid of some of this taboo. And if you ever hear or worry about um, your child holding a secret or being overwhelmed about a friend's safety, get involved and help them figure out how to have that child connect with someone they trust. Thank you so much, Dr. Goodmanson, for joining me. Thank you. The reality is there's no question that parenting is a high stakes job. And the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. <laughs>